0: This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. All right, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? I'm telling you, this is a good day to be in the house of God. It's exciting. Uh, it's exciting. So um, I'm gonna, as Cameron said, I was gonna, uh, I was gonna wear bottoms and like a '70s uh, little sweat uh, sweatband around my head, and then I thought that may be too distracting during worship. So uh, I decided to leave all that at home. That's uh, that's just, you know, it's too bad. Another time, another time. Um, Anyhow, yeah, why don't we pray, and then uh, we're gonna jump right into our message series today. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, that your presence is here. And we thank you, God, that where you are, all things are possible. And so today, God, as we gather around your word and as we look at, uh, at your word and what it has to say, Lord, I pray, God, that you would uh, just do a work in our hearts, Lord. I thank you that your word is like a two-edged sword, sharper, sharper than any two-edged sword. And, uh, Lord, I pray, God, today as we listen to your word, I pray, God, that you would start to separate that which is of the soul from that which is of the spirit and help us to see the truth of your word in our lives, Lord and help us to live by it, and to love it, and to live like Jesus, and to love like Jesus. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to talk to you uh, as we open the series about uh, something called the the principle of honor. Um, And before I start, we've called this series Vintage, because basically we want to come back to some of the fundamental biblical values that have been lost in our society today, but values that we think are incredibly important for us to live by, uh, to hold to, and to stand up for. And so, uh, when we were looking at this whole idea of vintage, um, a little th- incident or thing that happened a couple of weeks ago came to mind. Uh, we were over at Grandma and Grandpa's house a couple weeks ago, and so Grandpa got his old record player out, and uh, just to amuse the kids, he got out the 12 Days of Christmas, the Muppet version. Yeah. And... Uh, And the kids, we've talked to them about record players, but we no longer own one, sadly. Um, But Grandpa does, so he starts playing this 12 Days of Christmas. They were totally uh, just fascinated by this vintage thing. And so they wanted to hear it over and over again, so did their dad. Um, I mean, so so did we all. Um, But... uh, it was a really neat experience because we could say, Well that's how we grew up. That's it, that's a vintage thing, that's an old thing and even though it's not modern anymore, there's something very special about that. And so it was really neat because the kids kept talking about it and more so I'd like to personally thank Grandma and Grandpa because ever since in my house I have heard Five Golden Rings Pam pam Um that's um that's the, uh, what's uh, Piggy? Miss Piggy. That sings that. And so I've had every version of Miss Piggy at my house for the last two weeks. So I, I'd like to thank you for that experience. It's been great. But the, but the reality, you have no idea how many times a day that happens. But um, the reality is that we live in a culture that have strayed very far away from fundamental values. Things that were considered normal just one generation ago are now not just considered outdated but they're even considered intolerant. And so what we need to do is we need to go back to the Word of God and see what it says. Vintage defined means something characterized by excellence, maturity, and enduring appeal. Something that is classic of lasting interest and importance with great qualities and characteristics. You know when you have someone that has that vintage look? Um, It's because it's classic. I I had that look growing up, except I was always about two years before it became classic. Because it was so old, it was almost becoming modern again, but I just missed it usually by about two years, so that was me growing up. I should have kept it all, because now I would just look great, um, but uh, I eventually did give it away. But this vintage series is meant to bring us back to some fundamental biblical values that we're called to live by despite the cultural demands that are ever-changing in our culture uh, and in our society today, because vintage values, so godly values, are excellent, and they have great qualities. So... Um, When we talk about this principle of honour, I was thinking about different customs in different countries because as some of you may know, I've travelled quite a bit. And it's actually interesting how you show honour in different countries. So in some countries, for example, in in South Korea, and you guys would know this well, you're supposed to to bow not too low and not too tall, just slightly below the person you're bowing to. And all all of South Koreans are short. So if you're tall, (laughs) you have to find that right balance And then in Tanzania, you're supposed to greet people with your hand, but holding both hands out. That's a sign of honor. And then uh, there's different things to honor different people. For example, in Russia, if you go to Russia, when you have a meal, you're always supposed to eat the very last scrape of the very last bit because that's how you show the cook honor. However, in Sweden, you're supposed to never finish the last bite because that's very rude. And, And that's showing dishonor to uh, the cook, which I have a couple of funny stories about that I won't share now. Um, but yeah, it's if you finish everything in Sweden, then the cook for the next meal has to make more. And when you think you're supposed to finish it, then you eat more the next meal and then they make more for the next one. So it's quite funny, uh, unless you know the customs. <laughs> And so uh, in different countries, some countries you're supposed to um, not show the soles of your feet. In other countries, it's rude to wear your shoes. And so there's all these different things in different cultures. And I've learned as I travel to find out ahead of time uh, rather than find out the hard way when I'm there. Um, but all that to say, what we need to do is not be so concerned about what everyone else does because values change, customs change, but the word of God never changes. And so when we learn the principle of honor, it never changes. It never changes the way God looks at it. And if you look at North America today, it's, it's sad to see that we have become one of the most dishonoring cultures of this world. If you think of it, people today dishonor their parents. Um, well, I don't even have to <laughs> give you examples. You can imagine uh, students dishonor their teachers, even the police. Um, there's been this big trend in the last few months of, of really coming against authority and, and feeling like you can say anything to anybody because it's a human right. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, it's, it's really sad that human rights in and of themselves today have become more important than some of the principles that created the need for human rights in the first place. And that's where we have to come back to what does the Bible say and I want to say this this morning, you may think this is kind of a, well, it's just a nice little principle, but I want to show you this morning that the principle of honor in your life, in practice, can actually unlock the miraculous in your life. It can open up something from heaven above your life, and, and it's amazing when we learn to live by that. Think about Daniel and how he stood for biblical values, he stood for uh, the truth of God, but yet he honored the king at the same time. And as a result, first of all, he was thrown into the lion's den by God worked on his behalf. And as a result of that, the very king that made the decree to throw him in the lion's den to start with made a public decree to all the whole nation that you shall honor Daniel's God. You want to talk about supernatural working on your behalf? That's pretty incredible. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that would not bow to the cultural demand, but they would stand up and honor God above all else. And miraculously, God delivers them from the fiery furnace. Think about David when he defeated Goliath. He was probably just in his teens, probably about 15 years old. And he, again, he honors Saul, who was the king, and, and, you know, comes honorably and said, you know, we're not going to let this uncircumcised Philistine who's not in covenant with God take over our nation. But I'm going to stand for the honor of God and defend it. And God added his super on David's natural and he defeated that giant. Because the reality is that God will honor those who honor him. Think of the, the Roman centurion. He had an incredible understanding of this concept of honor. When he came to Jesus and his servant was sick, he said, you know, my servant is sick. Can you come heal him? And Jesus immediately responds and says, sure, I'll come to your house. And he says, no, I'm not worthy. I'm a man of rank and authority, and I know your authority. I honor you, and I don't want you to even have to go there. But I know, and he understood this principle of authority, that I know that if you just say the word, then my servant will be healed. And Jesus looked at him in amazement and said, wow, you get it. And he was a Roman. He wasn't even a Jew. He was a Roman. And as a result, his servant was miraculously healed. But the same way that honor can unlock the miraculous in our life, if we live in dishonor, it can limit what God can do in our lives. So I want to give you an example of how actually dishonor limited Jesus and in what he could do. We're going to look at Mark chapter 6 uh, briefly here, but I just want to give you the context uh, before we jump into the story. So Jesus, about a year before this incident, had actually uh, been thrown out of, <laughs> uh, of Nazareth. He had, uh, he had been there and they had chased him out of the city trying to kill him. But in that following year, he had been out and about doing good, healing the sick, raising the dead, opening blind eyes, turning water into wine, and doing all this stuff. And so the people of Nazareth, when he came back, they knew that there was something very special about this guy. He was not just little Jesus from Nazareth. But they knew because the crowds followed him and his fame was spreading all about. So now he comes back in, not as uh, the carpenter, But he comes back into Nazareth as the miracle worker. So listen to what happens in Mark chapter 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? And what are the remarkable miracles that he's performing? So in other words, they're saying, wow, this guy is amazing. His teaching is powerful. His miracles are amazing. How can he do that? Right, They're looking at him going, whoa, what happened? Right, But then look at what happens right after that. Someone who probably knew him from before pipes up and says, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And listen to this, they took offense at him. What they're saying is, isn't that just the ordinary guy we all grew up with? Isn't he like that guy in class that, that we all couldn't stand because he got straight A's and the teacher just loved him all the time? And, you know, isn't that guy, isn't he the guy that made our kitchen table? It he, he can't, he can't be, right? And so immediately you see that their attitude changes. And then Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown among his relatives, in his own home. So what happened? Jesus didn't change. But the way they viewed him changed in an instant. So this whole idea of Jesus as without honor, it actually comes from a Greek word called etimos, which means to dishonor or to treat as common or to treat as ordinary. And that's what happened. All of a sudden, instead of treating him as the miracle worker, their, their minds changed and they're looking at him as that common Ordinary guy. However, the, the Greek word for honor is timmies. Now, you'll never forget that if you think of how some people honor your timmies in the morning. <laughs> so now you can think of this principle every morning as you go to the drive-thru. Um, but to, to timmy someone means to value, to respect, or highly esteem, to treat as precious, weighty, or valuable. And so Jesus is saying that when we're looking at him and when we're looking at others, we need to treat them as precious, as weighty, as valuable people. The very creation that that Jesus poured his life out for, those are the people that we need to treat with honor, with Timmy. Think about this. So my, my boys really like baseball, right? And so we follow along, well, they do, more than I. I get to hear the scores and the stats and whatever. Um, but I know this much: we have a few baseballs at home, right? And so, um, if you go to Canadian Tire and you buy a baseball, I think it's about what three dollars, probably, for a regular baseball. But what was to happen? What, what would happen to that baseball if Jose Bautista's signature was on it? It would quickly go from three dollars to probably three thousand dollars. What changed about the baseball? It's the value that's put on it. And we would never view that baseball the same ever again. We wouldn't leave it out in the garden in the rain. We would keep, (laughs) hold on to it or find, find the best bidding deal, right, and earn some money. But the issue is that the baseball is still the same. It's all about how we view it. And so when we learn to look at people around us in the way that God views us and the way that God views other people, what we do is we stop seeing people, if you will, as ordinary baseballs. And we start seeing the value and his signature that has been written on the hearts of every person on this planet. And we start seeing that they are worthy to be treated with respect and with honor and dignity, someone that is weighty and of great value. You guys following? See, honor builds up. It believes the best and it values someone. Dishonor, however, tears down. It believes the worst and it devalues people. And I believe that one of the reasons that our country is the way it is is because over and over and over again we have been devaluing people and dishonoring people and and not seeing them the way that God sees them. So let's see what dishonor did to the very Son of God. So verse 5 says this, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So this whole principle of dishonor actually limited what Jesus himself could do. And the interesting thing there is that he doesn't even say he wouldn't do a lot of miracles. It actually says that he couldn't do miracles. So see how it actually can lock Uh, the hand of God. And Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith, which is really sad because they could have been the recipients of not just the ordinary guy from down the street, but they could have received him as who he was and received all the miracles and all the things that he really intended to do as he went there. But I want to look just very quickly at who we are called to honor in our lives. Of course, the Bible says that in essence, we're to honor everybody. So there, end of sermon. (laughs) Um, That was quick and easy, but I want to kind of highlight the top three uh, that I see in scripture that pulls out. It does talk about more than that, but just for the sake of uh, time and just getting the principle, I want to talk about the top three. So first of all, one of the first biblical commands ever in this regard of honor is to honor your parents. Exodus 20, verse 12, you probably recognize this from the Ten Commandments. It says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that your God is giving you. Um, And this is a forgotten value in our culture today, but the Bible teaches us that you are to honor your father and your mother. And I don't, it doesn't matter if you're five or if you're 55, but there's a principle of honor that God calls us to practice and calls us to live in. And I want to say this, some of you may not have uh, parents that you feel are so worthy of that honor, but I want to say this, that honor is given, respect. Is earned. So whether or not you feel like you have respect for someone, you can still honor them biblically. And that's what God wants for us. Uh, I remember the story of someone I knew. I won't reveal his name, um, but he was a pretty <coughs> rebellious little child. And so he told, he tells this story of one day um, his mom wanted him to, to stand up. There's this thing going on, and she's said, come on, stand up. And he's like, eh, I want to sit. Right, and she's like, stand up, son, and he's like, gonna sit, right, and so finally she's like, stand up, and so he's like, okay, mom, so he stands up, and she goes, see, that wasn't so hard. He goes, yeah, mom, but in my heart, I'm still sitting. And the reality is that honor comes from the heart. Outward actions are one thing. But honor truly comes from the heart. And that's where God calls us higher. He hasn't called us to live the way the world lives. He doesn't call us to just go with every wind of feeling and doctrine and and culture and all that. He calls us to live by these principles because he knows that if we do, he unlocks something in our lives. And I want to say this. Even if, if your parents or whoever it is are not worthy of honor, if you treat them with honor, honor actually goes a long way. And I want to say this when you're not, we, we often think if, if you are honorable, I'll treat you with honor. But the Bible basically says that if I ascribe you honor, even if you're not worthy of it, many times you will become more honorable because honor empowers people, honor esteems people, and honor brings the best qualities out in people. Now, the second um, group of people that God has, of course, called us to honor is those in authority. So this could be your teachers, your coaches, your boss, the government, ooh, that's a big one, Um, leaders around the world, God has called us to give them honor. Listen to Romans 13, verse 7. It says, give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, revenue. Then if respect, respect. If honor, then honor. The reality is that honoring a position doesn't always mean you agree with them. So, because a lot of people feel like if I disagree with my boss or if I disagree with, you know, whoever in in authority, then that gives me the right to dishonor them. But the Bible actually says that there's a way to disagree. We don't have to agree with them. But there's a way to do it still with an honoring and loving attitude. And so that doesn't mean we condone everything that happens and maybe someone in authority has done you wrong. And God will take care of that. What God has called us to do is to live with an honorable attitude towards those in authority. Listen to 1 Peter 2.17. It says, Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. And fear God. And honor the king. Honor the king. I just want to put it in context. In 1 Peter, you know who he was writing about? He was writing about the king that was killing Christians and using them as torches in their games. So Peter actually is going to the very heart of the people he's writing to. And he's saying, listen, I know that you have issues with the king. He's very ungodly. And he's persecuting Christians and trying to find you and kill you. But I'm telling you that you need to honor the king. Now, I'm not saying that Christians should become a doormat and selfishly or willingly say, hey, use me as a torch. But what I am saying is that we can, if we fully grasp this, this principle, then God will honor you as you honor others. See, I believe this, that many times we just get so confused because our feelings get in the way. Do you agree? And we just feel like if you know, if you treat me right, then I'm gonna encourage you. The reality is that we can not only unlock things in our own life, but by treating people with honor and dignity, we can unlock the love of God in their life. There's nothing more powerful than when you're in a disagreement with someone and all of a sudden, the Bible says that a soft answer turns away wrath. It's amazing how that principle of honor just can soften a person. And when we, when we show people the honor that is due to them, again, not condoning many times what they do, it brings God's goodness into a person's life. It doesn't make sense, but it does bring an open door. So thirdly we're called to honor pastors and church leaders. First Thessalonians 5:12 and 13 says, "Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with one another." Have you ever thought about what honoring a leader could do to them? Because I just want to let you know leaders are human uh, as well. <laughs> and so, you know, sometimes we forget that just showing each other honor can bring such great things. So as people honor leaders, it's amazing how it puts them in the position to seek God even more because then even more so you want to do the right thing and you want, to, you want to lead the right way and you want to be godly, right? And so ultimately when you honor your leaders, you're putting them, you're setting them up for success in the way that they're going to seek God more they're going to press into him more and they're going to want to reflect the same honor back to you that you're giving to them. And it's a beautiful thing. It's the way God intended it to be. And it takes seri- it helps leaders take seriously the role that God has given them. Right? And I want to say here, and Cameron and I have talked about this, we wanted to say here that we do feel like you honor us as your leaders. And sometimes it blows us away when we think about how much honor and respect that you give to us all the time. If we say, hey, we're going to have a church in a movie theater, you go, woohoo, yeah, sure, sounds good, right? And then we say, let's do a back-to-school bash, and you go, sure, yeah. And then we say, let's do an Easter extravaganza and, and give candy and stuff to all these kids, and you go, yeah, right? And then we say, hey, let's move into a school, and you go, yeah, we're on board. We say, let's do Hands of Hope, woohoo, let's go to Haiti, sure, right? Let's give us our office. Let's give up our office space. And You're behind us all the way. Let's believe God for a harvest of people who need the love and care of Jesus and his church. And you say, we'll do anything. That's honor. You say, let's give extravagantly and you do it. Let's love the unlovable and you do it. We say, let's be Jesus to those around us. And you say, yeah that's living with honor, and we want to thank you for that. I want to say today that you are the most courageous people. You're the most generous people. You're the most faithful, giving, and trusting people that we have ever met, and we honor you for that, and we feel the way you honor us by just giving yourselves to the cause of the kingdom in the city of Kingston, and for that we thank you. And if I can say this, honor goes beyond just agreeing on a worthy cause. That's when honor is easy, right? Honor is something that God requires of each of us. Whether we agree or not, whether someone seems to be encouraging or not, honor is something that comes from the heart. The reality is that God has called us to honor one another. And if you think of it, if you want a great marriage, honor one another. If you want great relationships. Honor one another because honor reflects honor. And it's a beautiful thing. Romans 12:10, I love this version. It says, Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor outdo one another in showing honor. Can you imagine if we started living by this principle where you're like, oh no, I'm going to outdo you. I'm going to show you more honor than that. And what that does is it builds up and encourages people to live a godly life and to live, to be an encourager themselves. And then it's reciprocated. And then it's this wonderful circle of just the love and the honor of God taking place in the relationships around us. And it's a beautiful thing. That, uh, that word to outdo literally means to go before and show the way. To go before and lead. To go before as a leader. So the Bible is literally saying you are to go before and show the way in how to honor one another. That's our mandate from heaven is to be the leader in doing that. See, many times we wait for others, right, to start. And then when we feel good, then we recipro- reciprocate. But God is saying, Be the leader. Go before and show the way and outdo one another. Today, for those of you who have kids, why don't you take a moment just to honor our kids' workers for the work and effort they put in? Why don't you take a moment to honor our teardown crew that is here week after week after week? You know, a simple thank you, I see what you do, can go so far. And when we do that, what we do is we build up the body of Christ. God has called us to edify one another and to build one another up in love. And further than that, according to this verse, to outdo one another in showing honor. Can you imagine putting that into principle every day of your life? And not just in church, but everywhere that you go. I want to look at the life of David um, just quickly. And uh, because he really is an amazing example of a man who chose throughout his life to live according to this principle of honor. His story kind of begins in 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'm just going to pull out a couple of verses for you. Um, But he really practiced honor on three different levels with humans. I'm going to say first and foremost, he honored God. Um, And so that kind of Almost goes without saying that that's his fundamental principle in his life. But I want to look at three different types of people that he honored. And when we look at David, I don't know about you, but I often think of him as, you know, the greatest king of Israel and a man after God's own heart and, and all this stuff. But when we back up and look at the very beginnings of David's life, he actually had very humble beginnings. And not just humble beginnings, but pretty difficult. If, he, if anyone had an excuse to practice dishonor, it actually would have been David. Um, he was the eighth son of Jesse, and when Samuel, the prophet, came to choose a new king, uh, and here is how it started for him. He, uh, he had said to, uh, to Jesse, his father, "I wanna, um, God has told me to pick a king, one of your sons, so could you bring them all in? And so Jesse brings in seven of his sons. doesn't even mention that there's an eighth son, because he deems him unworthy to even be part of that equation. And so God actually supernaturally has to speak to Samuel to say there must be one more. Because he goes through the seven and and he's like, well, they're not it. So he turns to Jesse and he says, do you have another son? And Jesse goes, well, yeah. And the the Bible in English translates it to say, yes, I have a younger son. This is in 1 Samuel 16. But the biblical word that's used for younger Actually, it's the biblical word, rattan. Do you know what that means? It means worthless, insignificant, and unimportant. So Jesse says, yeah, I do have a worthless one. I have an insignificant one. You can't possibly mean him. And Samuel says, bring him in, hurry. He actually says, hurry, go find him and bring him here. And so he brings him in, and God says, that's the one. See, his beginnings were humble, and he was rejected not only by his father, but if you look at how his brothers treated him, when he went out to the battle right before he defeated Goliath and became famous, right before that, his brothers look at him going, what are you doing here? Why did you come? You're so annoying, David. If you look at how he's treated, he, he could have had every excuse to feel rejected and have a chip on his shoulder. But see, that's how he began. But the number eight, and he was the eighth son. It's beautiful from what we've just been talking about. Do you know what eight means? It means new beginnings. It means something new, something fresh. And so David, rather than being burdened and and put in a box in how he has been treated, he decides that I'm going to step into what God has for me. I'm going to realize that God has put me in this place because he's giving me a new beginning and a new name. I'm no longer going to be called the worthless one but I'm going to look to God for my identity, look to God for my approval. And that day, God honored the worthless one by anointing him king. Hello. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. I don't know if anything like that has ever happened to you, but it's pretty cool. And right after this, that's when David goes in and defeats Goliath, And it's really neat to see how God supernaturally, because he... He doesn't, he doesn't get stuck by his circumstance. Instead, he looks to God, he honors God, and he uh, relies on God to do the work for him. And so he defeats Goliath. And shortly after that, the king actually, Saul, brings him in. And listen to this. He comes to Saul, and Saul says, Who are you? And whose son are you? First Samuel seven fifty eight. Whose son are you, young man? So listen, David answered him and said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Jesse, I mean, David could have drawn on his position or as, well, I'm the chosen one by the prophet Samuel, remember? But instead, that word answered in Hebrew actually means proudly And boastingly, he says, I am the son of Jesse. And it's pretty neat to see that despite the fact that his dad hadn't treated him very honorably, he says, I'm going to treat him with honor and with respect. So David honored his family name. Secondly, we see that David honors authority. So God had already anointed David back that day when Samuel came and he already knew his position, but get this, you know how long it took David before he actually became king? 15 years before he started reigning over Judah and 22 years before he actually was the king of Israel. That's a long waiting time. (laughs) I don't know about you. I'm like, Lord, please don't make me wait that long for when you speak to me about something because that's a really long time. But in the midst of that, David was challenged on many, many, many levels by his authority, which was Saul. And David knew in his heart that God actually had rejected Saul as king. But even though God had already rejected Saul as king, David said, until that day comes and God brings me into the position that he is giving me, until that day I'm going to honor Saul, despite the fact that he treated him poorly and wrongly and sinfully at times, I'm going to honor that authority. Again, not agreeing with it, but honoring that. So David did nothing to, but honor Saul and he did everything asked of him, yet Saul, out of jealousy, tried to kill David. Um, if you read those stories, see David comes in and he plays music for Saul and all of a sudden Saul has a, a bad moment, throws his spear at him. Now, honor does not mean stay and take the spear. <laughs> it means run away. <laughs> you don't have to get killed for it. Um, and so he did run away. But if you read the story a little bit down the road, and I'm kind of summarizing David's life in a few minutes here. um, But when you read down the road, what happened is now Saul is really jealous. And so now he's on a hunt. Literally, he's trying to hunt David down to kill him. And so he's out with a whole company of them. And so he comes to this cave. David is hiding in the back of the cave. Saul doesn't know that. And so David's companions say to him, here's your chance. Kill the guy. Go ahead. God has given him into your hands. And listen What David replies, first of all, he doesn't kill him. He actually cuts the corner off his robe just to show Saul, here's the proof, I could have killed you and I didn't. And so what happens is when Saul is a little further away and it's at a safe distance, he calls out to Saul and says, hello, why are you trying to kill me, Saul? I still honor you. You're still my king. And you're still in the position God has given you. So 1 Samuel um, 14, verse 6. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is anointed by the Lord. So he's recognizing his position. See, we can honor a position even without necessarily respecting it. Honor goes beyond respect. And yet again, just a few chapters later, this happens again. Saul goes away at that time, and some time passes, and then they have a very similar thing again. Saul is at David's fingertips. David could have easily killed him again. Instead, he takes his spear and he takes his, his water jug. And Saul walks away a little further when he wakes up. And Saul calls out again, or David calls out again and says, Saul, what are you doing? I'm still honoring you as my king. So David um, said in 1 Samuel 26:23, The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you, he's speaking to Saul, into my hands today. But I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. See, this principle of honor was real in David's life. He honored the position because he knew the godly principle, not because Saul deserved it. And God, as a result, took care of David and eventually elevated him to the position of being the king of Israel. But David actually took it one step further. And this is the part of the story that a lot of people forget. Few chapters later in Second Samuel nine, shortly after Saul uh, has now been killed in battle, or died in battle, um, David finds that both Saul and Jonathan, who was Saul's son, David's best friend, they had both died. And so, listen to what uh, David says in Second Samuel nine verse four. David asked, "Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake?" So not only did he honor his parents, honor his authority. But now he is actually going down the line and honoring his inheritance. And in verse 7, it says, um, they bring out this son of Jonathan. His name is Mephibosheth. Say that five times fast. <laughs> Anyhow, his name is Mephibosheth. And he comes before David trembling because, again, he would be considered David's servant and enemy at this point. But he comes before David, and David says in verse 7, Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. See, there's some innocent people in our lives that have had things done to them that were not their fault. Mephibosheth was innocent of Saul's madness. And so what David does is he finds this Mishibotha. And and listen to this. I don't know if you know his story, but when Saul died, when his grandfather died and his father was killed in battle, he was just a little boy. And what happened was that his nurse picked him up to flee, to run away. And in the process of doing that, she drops him. And he became lame in both his feet. The story is right in it. You can read it for yourself. But guess what that meant for, now I really can't say it. (laughs) Guess what that meant for Mr. M. We'll call him that today. Guess what that meant for Mr. M. He would be considered worthless and insignificant. And David, by the grace of God and by the honor that God has showed him and that he's putting into principle, shows honor to this man called Mr. M who's considered a worthless one. And he brings it full circle in only the way that God can. And he honors Saul's inheritance for the sake of his father, um, Jonathan. And basically, he brings him in, this man considered worthless, who would would be considered his servant, but he said, you're going to eat at my table. And actually, in the Bible, it talks about sitting at his private table, not just his banquet hall, but he says, for the rest of your days, you're going to eat at my table. And he restores dignity, and honor to a man that would be considered worthless. Isn't it beautiful how God works? So why don't we have honor today? Why can't we live by these principles? I think the reason our culture is dishonoring is because people aren't honoring God. Because all true honor is born out of a surrendered heart to Jesus Christ. And when we surrender our heart to Jesus Christ, then we can allow him to show us how to treat people. And the problem is that we're treating God as common. Jesus is not just the six-pound, eight-ounce baby uh, born in a manger. But Jesus, when we look at him, Jesus is not just my my homeboy or my buddy. Sometimes we've made him, we haven't valued him the way he deserves. But Jesus is soon coming, he's returning, he's ruling, he's reigning, he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he alone is worthy to be honored and glorified and praised in our lives. And when his name is written on our heart, and we see him for who he truly is, then we can do nothing but to honor, because his name is on our heart. And not just that, but when we start viewing his creation, those around us as the the precious baseball that has his signature on it, because the Bible says that Jesus so loved the world, not just the good people, but he so loved the world that he gave his only son and Jesus willingly laid down his life and paid with his life for people and he has written his name on their heart. And when we see that he wrote his name on people's heart, then we can start valuing them and seeing the value and what Jesus looks at when he looks at people. And that goes beyond what we think of them. It goes way beyond. It goes to allowing God to view those around us with his eyes. See, people are not common or ordinary. We're made valuable by his name. Sadly, many Christians live like the Israel, Israel did back in the day. They said, uh, Isaiah 29:13 says that these, are people, these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But I want to say this. I don't want to be a generation that gives God lip service. I want to give God the honor of our hearts. So heart honor because he alone is worthy. And when we realize who we are because of what he did, then we will see the value in others and show them honor because they're valuable enough for Jesus to give his life for. We are called to lift others up, to esteem and value them, not to become a doormat and agree with every wrong thing in this world, but to honor people in their position because God intended for us to do. And when we do that, we can reclaim the forgotten value of honor in our lives. And God promises in 1 Samuel 2.30 that those who honor me I will honor. I want to be a person that shows honor from my heart. And as God does, every time I study for something, he always starts to show me, you know, you can, you can do this more. You can surrender your heart more to me. And if that's you today, if you feel like, you know, there's some people in my life that I feel like maybe I should honor, I encourage you to stand with me uh, this morning. If you feel like this principle is something that you want to commit, not to me but before God to live by and say, God, I want to take this principle, I want to embrace this principle, and I want to live by the honor that you have called me to live by. And if that's you this morning, would you stand with me? And I want to say this, I want to honor people around me. I want to honor my leaders. I want to honor my mentors. I want to honor my parents. I want to honor my husband. I want to honor those that God has placed in my life. But more than anything, I want to honor Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want to honor the Son of God, the risen Christ, to give his life and touched my heart. He forgave me of sin and I'm unworthy. But at the same time, he has made us sons and daughters of Christ and through him, he has made us worthy and has given us the power and the grace to extend that honor. I make a commitment today to honor those he's put into my life. And I don't want to limit God's power in my life because of dishonor. But I want to have a surrendered heart to Jesus Christ this morning. And if that you would just pray with me this morning and say, Jesus, I thank you that you've forgiven me, that you've cleansed me, that you've made me your child. And Lord, today, I pray that you would help me to see others the way you see them, to value them the way you value them, to treat them the way you want me to, and to honor them because of your work in me. Thank you, Jesus. We give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for staying with me this morning. Um, have a wonderful week for those of you who are in the Quick classes or Life Tracks classes. We meet again Wednesday. And don't forget, if you're an usher greeter uh, cafe, Um, or welcome center person stay in here and you're going to have a meeting with Ray. If not, um, have a fantastic week and be blessed as you go and have a great week. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.